what does it mean to be on mission is the same question as what does it mean to be a Christian? You are not fully a disciple of Jesus unless you're sharing the gospel of Jesus. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I am Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined with my chubby little co host, <laughs> Dave the Body Van Vickle. How you I doing? I don't know. Dave? I don't know what that was. I'm I'm still 65 pounds less of me. There's, there's I know. That I know. You're, you're not chubby. Love. You're not chubby. You're thick. Um, thick. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I, I, there's that one comedian that that has fallen from grace. What's his name? Dane Dane Cook, right? Everyone. He's like he's like the Nickelback of comedians. Everyone loves to make fun of him. Okay. But he had this one joke where he was talking about this this annoying guy at the office, and he was like, "He's not fat, but he is shaped." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh yeah, oh, that's funny. Yeah. That's I know funny. that." So. So uh, you got anything uh, planned, Mister? Uh, you got you got your own Patreon. I don't think we've ever talked about your Patreon page. No, no, and actually, um, well, I don't know. Good I just, time to plug I, it. No, I feel, Good well, time I feel to plug weird it. Plugging it. I mean, you know, none of that money goes to you. I'm not going to tip you or anything for this. Um, no, no, no. That's fine. That's fine. I'll get Jesus, but no, everyone no, knows you're no, the. No, I would like to explain the the, the, the the rationale behind yeah. the Patreon page. So, so okay. I really feel like there is a not i'd hate to say the word market but that there's an opening um with regards to high quality theological um orthodox and practical spiritual warfare content in the catholic church okay and and i think most for the most part most people are getting all of their information from the opposite sides of the spectrum in that topic mm. so either more protestant side and or a radically traditional side, right? Those are the two kind of voices. And unfortunately, I can see shortcomings in both sides big time, like big, big shortcomings. And both sides have very little theological content, so there's not a lot of... Um, there's just not a lot of academic work being done to it. And I'm not saying I'm trying to do something academic, but I'm trying to bring some more foundational principles to this. So I decided... Um, Look, what I'm going to do is start a Patreon page that would hopefully fund my my time to be able to put my time into this. Just just maybe for the next two years. And so um, I have this Patreon page, and what I do is like I I it, there's no premiums. You can pay anything. You pay a dollar, you get vi access to all my videos, all the things I'm writing, everything like that. And you have to understand that eventually I am going to make this stuff all free to the public. Like I'm not going to just keep it forever. This is just for people who would like be interested in supporting that specific outreach that I have. You know, I'm, I'm inviting people and it's been really nice so far because people uh, have joined um, who I have no idea about and, and they've, and it, it has helped because a lot of them flesh out a lot of ideas that, you know, they ask questions and things like that. So yeah, so it's been going good. Well, give me, give me, a, give me a for instance. What are some of the topics that you would cover at your Patreon page? Okay, so well, one of the things that I did give to them for free um, was a book I I wrote, a, a book or booklet. I don't know what you'd call it. Um, it's 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 a pretty comprehensive book on. Um, this is going to sound so weird because literally it applies to 0.01% of the population. But basically, um, you know, there are thousands <laughs> and thousands of books on deliverance ministry, but there are no books yeah. written for the actual victim. And so I wrote something on like literally like what would you do if you are the victim of 
um, extraordinary spiritual war, extraordinary spiritual attacks by the demonic, or if someone in your family was. And it goes through things that you would never think of, like, well, how do you contact an exorcist? How do you cooperate with an exorcist? What are things that the exorcist might say that you might have problems with? What are things, you know, how do you cooperate with mental health professionals and all this? Like little things. So I just, I, I wrote that several years ago and like I gave it to them. I have a few like different prayer resources that I give to my Patreon page. Um, we're getting ready like next week, basically, I will start this long schedule of spiritual warfare for the family, spiritual warfare and priests, spiritual warfare. And there will be a public portion to most of these, but the Patreon supporters are going to get my my academic, my research work. Like they're going to get thick tomes, right, on what I've done here and, and what I've compiled. Also, just like it's a really great demonology reader. Like I have compilations of all the quotes from Vatican II that involve demonology, all the quotes from the, the Roman catechism that involve demonology, all the quotes from the new catechism, you know, things like that. So anyways. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, well, I'll send it all to you. I mean, don't 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 sign up for my Patreon page, Gomer. <laughs> yeah, I, oh man, oh man. You know what stinks? I just realized you were. I our was your first owner. You were the yeah. first, and, and I have lowest. given you nothing. And lowest. And lowest. That's not true. Yeah, you, you never you supported. You our, never yeah, our Amherst campaign. Well, that's true. Yeah. That's yeah. true. I I literally waited till the very end when you were almost at the threshold, and then I donated yeah. to put you over the threshold because yeah. yeah. I'm a hero. I'm a hero. <laughs> <laughs> Man, can I tell you something that I love? Uh, so yesterday I was in our youth room and uh, I recorded the podcast, you know, that came out on Wednesday at uh, Wednesday. Uh, whoopsie. Oh. And uh, yeah, I've had a lot of things going. I was wondering why I got that life. email. I was like, Gomer said he would take care of this. <laughs> Gomer promised me many things. <laughs> <laughs> so I was recording. And one of the things that I was really thinking about was like, we really got to understand if you want to proclaim the charisma, you have to have a competence in atonement theology and stuff like that and so i did this whole thing like five ways to beef up your your charisma <laughs> and it's it's really amazing like and you just said it and that's what made me think of it i have been benefited so greatly from the canons of the council of yeah, trent right there is so much goodness there and I have read through, um, and so I recommend people read on Original Sin and Baptism, which was one year, and then the following year they tackled Justification. But um, so I it just, you saying that, like you went through all the demonology stuff yeah. at the Catechism of the Council of Trent, and I was like, oh, I love do you it. Know what's, I love do you know what's it. funny? The Catechism of the Council of Trent, especially with with regards to justification and grace, I mean, yeah. that's our catechism, man. I mean, we need that desperately. Like, mm -hmm. like churches, if you're a pastor, offer a class on that. You don't have to call it that, but offer a class yeah. on justification and grace because you might not see it, but your parishioners desperately need it. We have no idea. Oh, yeah. We have no idea. Oh, yeah. And it's funny you say that because I just taught a – so uh, I just did my inclusion class on grace and salvation, and I did it from the perspective of like a Scott Hahn um, uh, covenant theology. Okay. Right? So how does the Catholic Church understand it? Well – now, you know, you go through Adam. What did Adam have? He was graced. He was called into the Sabbath rest, which means, you know, he, the justification, all that stuff. And then he walked away. And if you understand it from covenant theology, it, it was essentially it's a rebellion against the authority of God, not just the breaking of a rule. Right. But it is. And it's self-exile, which is symbolized by being expelled from the garden. And then you look at what Christ did. Right. Christ became, you know, he's the eternal son. So you look at all the 
covenant leaders throughout salvation history. They all have failed, so Jesus becomes one of us so that he can perfectly meet both ends of the bargain, right? Right. And the idea at, at the core of that is this notion of gratuitous salvation. Like, you don't have to earn, you don't have to be perfect, right. you have to say yes over and over and over again. Right. And so, right. I don't know, it's just, it's just amazing that when you teach sal- you teach grace what what grabs hold of people is it's not about faith and works faith and works are both two sides of the same coin called grace yeah. and this entrance into this gratuitous covenant that i can never create for myself or anything like that and it beca- i don't i don't know it's like I, I keep coming back to this if we don't understand grace we don't understand the first thing about the christian life we right just don't. and we just and don't. do you know do you know what an incredible influx of converts from protestantism we would have if they read the catechism of the council of trent because they yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I, really i mean honestly because they believe that we think that we work our way into heaven and and it's yeah. just you know that clears it up the other thing that's funny is I, I don't remember what class it was at franciscan but i was saying class we were talking about grace and justification i was having the hardest time understanding it and it was listening to charles stanley a protestant you know, pastor, <laughs> Andy Stanley's dad, right? Really? Where I was finally like, oh yeah, now I get it. I get exactly what he's saying. This is what, this is what we're trying to learn here, you know? So, I mean, it, we're so much closer <laughs> than we care, mischaracterize ourselves. Yeah. To, you know, saying the other thing. Yeah. Is, yeah. That's why I love Louis Boyer's book. Louis Boyer was an, uh, which one, reformed which one? church, uh, the, oh, what, which one was it? Spirit uh, and practice, infor- spirit and forms, yeah, spirit and forms of Protestantism. Yeah. And, uh, he just talks, he's like, if you summarize the Catholic theology and the early reformers' theology of salvation, it's gratuitous salvation. Yeah, right. That's both. That's right. both views. Right, right. And, yeah, and people the, just don't know that. You know, the other thing is, since we're on the rant about the Catechism of the Council of Trent, <laughs> um, so many—this is, is so elementary, but this will ring true with DREs. It is a pretty— common question to get a, in, in a CCD class or in even like a catechism class for adults to say like, well, Adam and Eve, all they did was, all they did was eat an apple. Like it just didn't seem like that big of a deal. And for them to understand that Adam and Eve weren't capable of a venial sin, right? They weren't capable of sinning like sort of, right? It, they, they were in, uh, because of their preternatural state right they were only capable of a full rebellion like that right in in a sense right Mm -hmm. uh it's it's important for people to understand that it's much bigger than just apple you know yeah (laughs) it is indeed and speaking of things that are bigger than apples we have an email from charles (laughs) (laughs) you gotta admit that was a sick segue you ready for this this is a cool email i hope yeah i'm excited yeah Hey guys, just wanted to say how much I appreciate your ministry and the topics you discuss on the podcast. It's kind of a relief to hear you, I agree. I am a Protestant pastor who was a church planter and is on the journey towards a Catholic church. It is really helpful to hear Catholics talk about missional ministry. I'm drawn to the church for so many reasons, but was always kind of afraid I'd have to chuck my understanding of what it means to live on mission. When I become Catholic, I hope to find more people like you. Are there missional networks within the Catholic Church to connect with? Great question, Charles. I'm, I'm so actually, so, I can't wait to hear yeah. your email to this guy because I was like, ooh, sorry, Charles. You've yeah. met Gomer and I. It's over. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, that's not true. Yeah, I said, yeah. Uh, I said, hey, Charles, thanks so much for the email. Yep, 
See you later. No, uh, yeah, I did say that. Uh, you're right about being worried about a lack of mission in general about the church in America, which is why we do this podcast. So many people don't understand that being Catholic is a mission. But if you want to find missional societies, they are aplenty in the church, just probably not at the parish level. You want to find Catholic movements that are devoted to spreading the gospel. So I, I go on a little bit more, but I, I, I gave it what I told you was a Sherry Waddell answer. And her thing is... You know, in the parish, there tends to be the emphasis on stability, you know, uh, constancy over time. And those are not really welcoming of charisms of evangelization. So often the parish will have the same kind of people over and over again. And if you have someone who is evangelical in nature, right, an evangelist by charism or nature, whatever, they tend to don't feel at home in a parish, and yeah. so part of a lot of these reform movements of the parish is like, wake up and do evangelization. I think some of these parish reform movements are better than others, but Sherry Waddell's Forming Intentional Disciples really brought that home to me, that there are like antibodies in the body of Christ at yeah. the parish level. Yeah. That's like, ew, 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 get them away. What did one priest say? If you, if people feel comfortable leaving their purses in the pews, you don't do enough evangelizing <laughs> because yeah, you only have the right sort of people in the church, right? I like that little – those are those, me and my wife has this thing, right? We're trying to lose weight, and we call it non-scale victories. That's a non-scale victory. It's not like how many people do you have coming into your church, but like these pants fit better or yeah, yeah. Uh, I have to take my purse away because there's a lot of criminals in here. Right. You know, that that's a good indicator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. I, I remember, you know, one of my favorite – one of my favorite – I don't know if you call them convert. No, they're not. They were they were born Catholic, but or they were you know raised Catholic. But there were these two twin sisters uh, who brought their kids for CCD um, because basically because their mom told them they had to, and mm-hmm. they did everything together. And I, I I you know they would always like go out of their way to like not not they were trying to make me feel better, but they were like, yeah, I mean, church just isn't for us. Like, you know, it's, it's, that's great for you. That's so awesome. That story you just told, but it's just really not for us. And I remember like just for years and years and years working on these two sisters and they were sweet. I I really liked them a lot. Um, and then finally I remember seeing them at church one day and they, they were huge fans of the show. Um, it's about bikers. Um, uh, it was called Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, Sons of Anarchy, and they okay. had, they had hoodies on, and they sat in the front row, which was awesome, and they had hoodies on that had Sons of Anarchy, so it had the Grim Reaper, just a giant <laughs> Grim Reaper on the back, you know, and it was yeah. so funny because I was just praying the whole time, like, please don't let a church lady walk up and tell them that that was not okay or something like that, you know, it was yeah. hilarious, so. Yeah, it reminds me of my story where this woman, uh, you know, husband dies. Her Catholic friends have been asking her to come to Mass for years. She finally goes to Mass after four days in a row of crying. And uh, she goes up to communion to get a blessing. And then she comes back and someone wrote her a note that said, yoga pants at Mass, really? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I've told that story before. But that's like my, my horror story of the wrong encounters. Okay, so... Uh, the other thing, though, in responding to Charles, right, I said that the charism evangelization is usually found in the movements. And I think that's very yeah. – uh, that was very insightful when I read that and Sherry Waddell talked about it on her, her Facebook forums and whatnot, that oftentimes people who are – the reason why Catholic movements, like, sweep through entire countries – is because there's all this latent energy within the church right. of people who want to evangelize, but they don't have a home for it. 
I think of Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassati, you know, his whole thing was with the Tipiloshi, right? The shady characters. They would just go out and serve the poor and evangelize. They didn't do it with a parish program and a par- and I remind people all the time, that's the model of lay evangelization. Just right. go and do. You don't have to wait for it. So often movements attract people because you you want community. Your heart thirsts for evangelizing in twos and in fours and in groups, right? So um, there are elements of evangelization that are thriving in the Catholic Church. So I don't want to pretend like we're not. I mean, there's a reason why at Fuller Theological Seminary they study Catholic missiology because for about 300 years, you know, with the discovery of the New World, Catholics were the only ones sending missionaries anywhere, right? And so uh, Protestant missiology in the 1900s was studying the 17 and 1800s of the Catholic Church, which is fascinating to me because we wouldn't think of that. But today, it's kind of the 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 script has flipped on us because now Catholic parishes are less likely to be evangelism based, and then you have Protestant churches, especially evangelical non denominational, that are more likely to be evangelism based with the church growth movement, with the missional movement, right, all these things right. that he was talking about. But often. You know, it's sink or swim with a non-denom, and, and Sherry points out that many of these pastors have charisms of evangelization and all this stuff, because if they didn't, they wouldn't have a church. They literally just go door to door, they rent out some space from a local public school, they hold their services and hope people show up, or they start as a house church. So if a church has survived, which most non-denoms don't, it survived because the leader is really strong on those charisms of right. organization and evangelization. Do you, you know what? I don't. I, I we might have talked about this before, but recently our mutual friend Carol Brown brought up an interesting phrase that I th- I remember hearing like a long time ago, but I've never I haven't heard it recently. And that was have you heard of this phrase tent tent makers, tent yeah. making? Yeah, yeah. So so this is the concept, and it's present in the Protestant Church where basically a business would hire you full time. But you would only work. You would only work on the business part time, and the other time is spent in mission. So, like, say a guy owns like a, I don't know what a restaurant or something. You would like wait tables for twenty hours a week, and then the re- other twenty hours a week would be spent in evangelization. You you know about this? You know about this movement? Uh, yeah, vaguely, vaguely. Okay, okay. I don't know much about it at all, but this is this is interesting, right? I mean. This is this how sounds far, like your career path. <laughs> no, no. Well, what would I do? I literally was thinking like that sounds cool because I am I'm looking for a job right now, and it's like I like that sounds cool. And then I thought I don't have any skills, but uh, but but here's the thing: is it's that um, it's, it's it it's depressing to find how far down the road they are thinking about this stuff from us. Mm-hmm. Like they're so much further down the road. In some ways, thinking about this. Now, you pointed out, right, they study Catholic missiology because, of course, it's our thing. But it hasn't been our thing for a long time, and that's that's interesting, you know. I mean, it's—well, yeah. it's, well, it's, it's sad, you know. We need people like Charles to come in and light fires. Yeah, and uh, that, that was a, an important part of his question, are there missional networks within the church? And he sent me a follow-up email. And so I recommended things, you know, like Word on Fire and Focus and Dirty Vagabond Ministries and Adore and different things like that that really, you know, Family Missions Company, that really emphasize, like, right. the call of every Christian to sacrifice and go out, right? Yeah. Like, give up stuff and go out there and evangelize. Um, and he said, well, what's it going to take for it to happen at the parish level? 
That was his follow-up question to me. That, What's I, it going to take? That's That was my question. I started thinking about that as soon as I read his thing. You know, what is it going to take yeah. at the parish level? I mean, well, well I think we yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I well, mean, what would you say? What, what, was, what, what would be your first go-to? So the two parishes that I think you and I have both worked at, that I have seen, that I have been most impressed with, and neither, by the way, neither of them have a big footprint, okay? Neither of them are going to be like, oh, yeah, I know that parish. The two parishes I have been most impressed with have had very similar pastors. One is the pastor I worked for before, okay, at St. Bonaventure's in, in Glenshaw, PA, okay, Father John Sweeney. The other one is... I don't remember the name of the church, but it's in Tallahassee, Florida. It's where Kelly Colangelo works. Have you have you ever spoken there? I no. don't think so. Okay. His name's Father Michael, and I don't remember his last name. But here's what's interesting about them. They both very like I would say their gift is recognizing authentic movements of the Holy Spirit in their laity, like in their parishioners. Mm. And have no issue with that. That doesn't bother them. It doesn't worry them. It doesn't scare them at all in any way. And so I saw real interesting, very interesting dynamics at these places where these pastors just kind of allowed it to flourish as opposed to took on the initiative. They allowed it to flourish. I'm not saying that's the right way to go, but that's one way, you know, for a parish. If, if the pastor could just understand that there are laity who authentically have this call. And sometimes you need to shape it a little bit, you know? In fact, most times you need to shape it a little bit. But they have this authentic call. And what both those pastors did is they started hiring people who could cultivate that authentic call amongst their... So for Father John, they hired me, right? And then for this Father Michael, he hired a bunch of people who, you know, would would be conducive to that, right? To recognizing that the laity can do this. This is the parish where um, Dr. Bob Schutz attends. He, you know, okay. and, and does good, a lot of ministry Good there. shepherd parish, good right. shepherd parish. Yeah, that's it. Work. That's it. Good shepherd. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Right. And and he does a lot of ministry there, right? And I, I get the sense that, like, you know, that was one of the things that the pastor just, he could see this is a movement of the Holy Spirit and he's going to let this, let it grow and let it flourish, you know? it was it, It's interesting. What are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts, yeah. I mean, to have a strong pastor is that understands uh, the nature of evangelization and mission is key. Yeah. Because the theology of the priesthood is the center of the parish, right? You can't have a thriving parish. I don't think you can have a thriving parish that operates in opposition or in spite of the pastor. Right. Yeah. Because no. because awful. the pastor has a yeah. And Sherry Waddell, uh, Father Michael Sweeney, is it? Is it Sweeney? Yeah. Um, he co-wrote yeah. some of the booklets. He yeah. has this whole thing where he talks about um, the the authority and, and charism of governance that a pastor has over a parish. And when they're not exercising that authority, they're not engaging in the graced movement of the Holy Spirit. Right. They're not if they they aren't governing it. They're not doing their job, basically. And so it's not, there's not that supernatural wellspring happening at a parish level. That doesn't mean he has to micromanage. And we know that they're like lay people can operate and bring the Holy Spirit into their jobs, into their communities, into their schools, in spite of a priest. But the parish itself, I don't think, can be lit on fire without the 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 priest choosing to be missional, right? Choosing to 
emphasize the evangelical nature of the church. And if they are antithetical to it, they can shut that down quick, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. And now, now the, the beautiful thing, like the code, of, uh, the code of canon law very specifically talks about the role of the laity in evangelization, yeah. and they don't need any ecclesial permission to nope. start having Bible studies in their home and evangelizing others. I just wish laity would do that more. Right to to not seek like oh parish will you please support me and run this ad in the bulletin, I feel like that's a numbers game that's unhelpful. It is. I would love to see people. Yeah, right. I would love to see people who are just like, you know what? I'm going to do what the Protestant pastor does. I'm going to have people in my home. I'm going to invite them over, and we're going to talk about faith in Jesus. And it doesn't need to be anything more complicated than that. And you can begin to frame it around a potluck, like exercise your domestic church. A potluck, or you know, you provide the food, you sacrifice and provide and feed a millennial. You invite them over, right? And maybe after this time of COVID, but you invite them over and you just do it. You just fellowship with people and you pray with people and you do these things. Make your home a refuge for sinners. After you get it going, maybe the ministry angle at the church is let me show you how to do this. Not, hey, if more people want to come, here's my home. No, that that's the opposite. I think of what we want. So Charles is coming at us with this missional understanding. Like, what does it mean to be on mission? It's the same question as, what does it mean to be a Christian? You are not fully a disciple of Jesus unless you're sharing the gospel of Jesus, Amen. right? You're not, right? You're not. You can't be. And so we have to, it's not just about empowering the laity. You're already empowered. You have the call. You have the command. You got the code of canon law on your side. Just start doing it, right? You, you just know, start doing you, it. You know, I'm yeah. I'm glad you just said this, and and I'm glad, and I know we're get. I like I'm gonna get on one of my rants again, but like, I honestly feel like it would be a defeat if if what happens is Charles comes into the Catholic Church and he just immediately gets on the Catholic speaker circuit. I mean, that's this is what I mean is that I I I think this all the time, and probably once a year I have this conversation with Amber where I'm like, Amber, what would change about her life if I went to if I went to work in the secular world? And she's like, no, that's not fair. You can't do that. God called you to this work. And it's like, well, I would still lead Bible studies. I would still evangelize. I'd still go out to the abortion clinic and pray. I'd still do all those things. And I feel like I'd have more peace in my life. What does the church add to what I'm doing right now? Well, yeah, salary, benefits, those kinds of things. Those are all good. But the truth is, I I think that we desperately need non-professional evangelistic Catholics. That's what we need more than anything right now. We definitely don't need more Gomers and Daves. That you know, that's not that's not what the church needs. Seats taken. Seats taken. <laughs> so just get away. On. There's only so just much back. Patreon money to go around. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, no, but I, I want to underscore what you said. A mutual friend of ours who I think is the vice president or president of Vagabond Missions, Chris Frank. He yeah. said to me, one of my greatest dreams is to quit the church job and go full time at like a gas station because yeah. then people stop saying, well, that that's fine for you. You work you. for the church. Right. Right. And over and over again, uh, like we've said this before, that is the greatest handicap when I'm evangelizing, like, let's just say the suburban men at my church. The greatest handicap is, oh, you're the church guy. Yeah. Right. It's not, oh, you're an adult male who has, you know, a marriage and kids and a successful career. It's like, oh, your career is to talk to people about Jesus. I feel like this is like a like a pyramid scheme. Like 
You know, like it's like a MLM, right? Yeah, like, hey, I get is. this, get three of your friends and get them to do it. And, you know, right. And so the problem, the problem with professional ministry is it turns church life and church work into a career. And there's an element of danger with that. But also you get bogged down in the insufferability of parish politics, right? Go over, go over. you're like, right? let's start crying. Go over's on the verge I, of tears right now. <laughs> look what they've done I, to me. Look, if, I in case skinny. you guys don't know, I had in, hair. Case, in case you guys don't know, it, one of the most stressful times in church American church history right now for church workers is right now, right? Is COVID, yeah. and I uh, took a big severance package in in July. Not big. Trust me, not big, but a long severance package. <laughs> I have benefits until until the end of September. Um, it, July 1st, I left, and Gomer is in the thick of all this. And so I just am sitting back easy breezy. I'm just, Gomer, I'm just going to go on my sidewalk right now and just evangelize somebody. I'm not going to ask anyone's permission. I'm not going to fill out any paperwork. I don't need a meeting room or anything like that. And guess what? No millennials are going to report to me over this. Not one. So... <laughs> Oh, oh, my heart, my heart, Dave, you're speaking right to my soul. Yeah, the right. anxieties of how do you contain youth ministry when you're not allowed? How do you how do you let youth ministry thrive when you can't see yeah. the kids? Of course, now I have Gosh, to. Uh, it is insane. Now I have to worry about you know insurance and benefits for my family. But but other than that, I have no other worries. So <laughs> other than, other than that, other than that huge thing, and yeah. you know, I wonder, I wonder, like. Okay, speaking about the professionalism, uh, you know, a big thing that I'm saying on Catching Foxes, I, I went and studied Amusing Ourselves to Death by Neil Postman and a handful of his other books. And the phrase that I keep coming back to is one by um, Clay, uh, oh, what is, is it, Clay McClure? McClure? Whatever, who coined the phrase, the medium is the message. Yeah. And I think about that in terms of professional evangelization. You know, we are witnessing people whose careers, and, and this includes us. People whose careers are based on teaching people how to be Christians, right? And there's a danger in that because it's like, we're the professionals. You you ignorant layperson can't do this. Now, the hope of this podcast is to tell laypeople, yes, you can, you can do this. Here's how. Um, and to kind of demythologize the whole, the whole process. But there is an element, Dave, where you and I see this, where we tailor the message to the medium that we're in. And we oh, don't yeah. even, like, it can be so subtle, but it's like, well, I'm going to say this, I'm not going to say that because I'm on a oh, stage yeah. or, you I know, do I'm doing a yes. parish mission. Yes. And you can't, you know, number one, because you, the, the light side of it is we're tailoring the message to the audience so that they can receive it, right? God, We call it the condescension of God. He spoke in a manner that we could hear, right? Right. And that's appropriate. You need to catechize and evangelize in the mode of the listeners so that you can take them from point A to point B. But the dark side of that is you tell people or frame it in such a way that you tell them what you want to hear. And if there are dollar signs hanging over the message, the, ter the, the terrible temptation and even the tendency can be well, I want to sell a book. You know, I got I got a stack of books in the back of the room. Interesting. And yep. my yeah, right. You, you can see where you, we could dilute the message or stay away from topics. Like for instance, um, Reverend Timothy Keller is a guy I deeply respect. Deeply respect yeah. Yeah. as a as a Reformed Church. Uh, what is he? Presbyterian pastor. But he does this all the time, where he'll walk up to a controversial issue 
make a comment about why he just oh you know I just don't have the time to talk about that and then move. and then keeps it yeah and then move so yeah. like he'll talk about the Christian meaning of marriage and in the very beginning of the book he'll say like now I'm not going to talk about these weightier issues of gay marriage and all this stuff because that you know that that is outside the scope of this book this is for men and right. women who are Christians who are married. And I understand you can write that book, but literally, it's the most important question of our time. Yeah. How do you teach Christians the, the nature and meaning of marriage and not talk about gay marriage is just, you know, it drives me nuts. And that's where I fear we hide behind the kerygma or we hide behind our shtick and we're afraid to take that next step because 50 people in the room might not buy our book or, or give us a donation or whatever it might be. Yeah, it's interesting. And I would say... You know, listening to you, I would say the only people who know what I honestly believe. Well, first of all, I make inflammatory statements all the time. So, I mean, I'm not I'm not <laughs> trying to get you to buy anything, obviously. But but the only people who know like ever like a comprehensive view of like what I think and what I, and, and, and my reasons behind it would be the people who attend my talks at the parish, because yeah. the talks at the parish, I end with ask me anything. You can ask me anything. And so things like. The McCarrick scandal comes up. Gay marriage comes up. This comes up. That comes up. And I answer very, very honestly. Um, and it it has affected me financially. I would say that that has affected me for sure. There's yeah. no question because, yeah. um, you know, I'm, I've had I've had tough relationships with dioceses and things like that, right? Because of you know, my I, be I believe it's pronounced. I believe it's pronounced diocese. No, diocese. it's not. It can't be diocese. No, oh. that's when you kill a diocese. Diocese. <laughs> diocese. <laughs> but it, but I, also I see known what you're saying. Lawsuits. Yeah. yeah right, right. Right. Like I had, I had a person who was a Catholic speaker, and it broke my heart because I, I used to really look up to this person. Say, like they had a donor who came up to them and said, "If you don't stop talking about X, I won't donate." And he goes, "So I," and I was like, "Oh man, what did you tell him?" He's like, I told him, okay. Like, I need his money. Like, I can't I would literally, my without it. I would literally walk right up onto that stage and start talking about X if someone said that to me. Be <laughs> and, and, and and it might even not even be a good thing because I'm so in I'm so yeah. <laughs> incensed by that thing. But that story enrages me. But I understand. Right. Yeah, you can you you can totally be like sympathetic towards that on a very human level. But that's where the tent maker idea really comes in like so if you're listening to this and you have a regular nine to five right and maybe you're you're thinking about getting into ministry because your heart's there and you've and you've maybe you've written a book you've done this you've done that i'm gonna tell you your most powerful witness is to not get into ministry your most powerful witness is to stay where i mean maybe god's calling you i'm not yeah. telling you what to do yes i am but uh god might be calling you honestly to stay right where you are because you have so much leverage. You have so much influence. As Even if you're the bottom man on a totem pole of a corporation, you have more credibility in the world than we do, right? Yeah, you just yeah, do. Yeah. yeah. Late people I, working for the church is a strange beast. It is. It's weird. It's weird. The... Uh, you know, and, and I, I, I want to stress the fact that it's it's certainly possible God could be calling you into something but but if you if that's your passion is to evangelize you know charles stay stay whatever you're doing right now just stay what you're doing and become catholic and evangelize from that point you know because we well, will he's suck you right into now. this industry and we will <laughs> we will make it seem like the most exciting story ever and 
without even hardly knowing you, you'll be speaking at the top conferences and things, and it and it'll ruin you, Charles. It'll ruin you. And it'll it'll, <laughs> it'll break your your sweet little brain. Uh, yeah, but Charles is a Protestant pastor. I wonder what what do you think? Uh, I used to love the coming home, uh, coming journey home, whatever it was called. With uh, oh gosh, I can picture his face, Marcus, yeah, Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I love him. And the Coming Home Network is all, like, for pastors who are converting to Catholicism. And I, it, Scott Hahn used to tell horror stories of what would happen to these men who have seminary degrees, yeah. started yeah. a bunch of churches, and then they work at, like, a dog food plant because they can't get right. jobs as a high school theology teacher. You don't want that job. Uh, so, yeah, it's a lot of stuff like that that um, I, I wish you the best, Charles, in terms of discerning your, your mission because here's the the courageous thing about a pastor who converts is he loses his job by saying yes to Jesus in this way. And that's why the coming home network and things like it are so very important um, for everyone. So what we're going to do is take a brief break. We're going to come right back and I'm going to tell you a uh, fascinating new turn of events that happened in my life, Dave, that I have kept from you. That I've kept from you. This is, yes, I don't, I don't like this. This is mysterious. No, this is, this is mysterious and wonderful. Uh, right. Email us at ek, <laughs> eksb at ascensionpress.com if you want your email talked about on the show because sometimes we desperately need the help of figuring out what we're going to talk about. All right, now this quick word from our good friends over at Ascension. I'm Jeff Cavins. I wrote The Activated Disciple because I know how easy it is to practice the faith and to study it But what if we lived our entire lives without doing what we learned? God doesn't just call us to be students. He calls us to be disciples, to look and live like Jesus. If you yearn for a life that moves beyond just studying and believing, if you yearn to become an activated disciple, then this book is for you. The Activated Disciple teaches you how to take your faith to the next level so you can become an instrument for God to transform the world. To order The Activated Disciple, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Every Knee Shall Bow. I don't have my brain together. We are not doing five practical takeaways. Instead, I'm going to reveal something <laughs> magical and new to Dave. And I'm this is so raising creepy. my eyebrows up This and is down. so it creepy. Is creepy. It is creepy. So I received the greatest email of all time. Okay, it's a personal <laughs> email to me. Not our good friend, Aaron, uh, maiden named Flynn, who wants you to come and speak at their, uh, you know, spiritual warfare conference did you get that email dave yeah why how do you, you know, know what i'm that? talking about why do you know she about sent that? it to eksb she sent it to, oh she did she oh it okay okay yeah okay. <laughs> i read your email dave no okay <laughs> so i get this email so it's not as cool as that it's not as cool as that but ewtn reached out to me okay and invited me to be on <laughs> life, life on, on the, the rock the rock life yes on the rock Life on the yes. rock, baby. Yes. I feel like I feel like after my show airs, <laughs> I'm just gonna quit. I, I've peaked. It's all downhill from there. They sent me this email. And they're like, "Do you think you can do this here?" You know, I'm like, "Yes, yes, 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 yes." yes. What yes. a weird career bar you just hit. I know. <laughs> I know. That's funny. I used to have a crush on uh, Rebecca, who used to answer the emails 
on Life on the Rock. And then now, and then when we went to Franciscan, me and Rebecca became friends. And we, I've had her on Catching Foxes a bunch of times. Who yeah. is the host now of? It's uh, the Franciscan Friars. Like they got a couple of their friars that do it, and have been oh, doing it since Jeff left. Oh, this is not a lay person. So. There's no lay host. No, no, no. Oh, okay. Wow, cool. Yeah, that's exciting. I When's that happening? Live my life on the rock. I think we're do recording they... in early early September, and it's going to be posted like a week or a week and a half later. Do the people at EWTN know you really have more of a face for podcasting and radio? No, they don't. Not, <laughs> but they're going to find out. They're going to find out in a big way. Oh, my gosh. We cannot air this. Look at that guy. That's awesome. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. That's my, that's my, that's my great accomplishment. Finally, we, we've interviewed Jeff Cavins, Scott Hahn, and now I'm going to be on EWTN. That's the trifecta of Catholicism. Yeah, that's the, you're right. What else do I have You've left? You've made like it, a, Gomer. A, You've made it. I know. I did. Well, now you, could I, on, I, you could get put on some kind of a pontifical council. But right now, Ooh. we'll say you've made it. We'll say you've made it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so I think, Dave, I need your honest assessment. If I go on EWTN just as one guest, not as someone who has their own show, do I get bumped from a C-list Catholic celebrity <laughs> to a B-list Catholic celebrity? I'm just asking for a friend. What do you think? Yeah. I think I think you definitely are in B, for sure. And. Yeah, and with yeah. a little self-promoting, shameless self-promoting, you could be an A soon. <laughs> <laughs> this is coming from a, from a Y, so take that with a grain yeah. of salt, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, you have yeah. heard so, uh, that, that, was a, that, that was uh, that was that uh, was a train wreck. That that was five practical that takeaways. Was. But uh, but uh, <laughs> you know, honestly, the the message of this is uh, that came out. I, I don't think we intended it from the beginning. Is we desperately no, we need a movement of lay evangel evangelism. We desperately need that. And we don't need a movement from lay people into church work. We need a movement of lay evangelism. Uh, proud of all our church workers out there. That's what we need to ignite. That's what we need to ignite. Yep. So, Charles, in answer to your question, uh, basically what we're telling you is Get on Life on the Rock and solve all the church's problems, <laughs> and we'll be good to go. Yeah, Alrighty. we'll see if those problems All right, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> all right, this has been Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. Adios, my good friends. God bless.